them. Well, first oh, on Rector's Cupboard, our tasting today is worms. Yeah. <laughs> In 1874, the British government passed a series of laws called the Regulation of Public Worship. What? A lot of people cared an awful lot about church back then. True. On one side, people wanted more ritual and ceremony. Order. Order. On the other side, they wanted mostly none. Yeah. In the midst of the battle, one minister, a rector in London at a church called St. George in the East, had stopped a practice whereby people who volunteered in church services could avail themselves of liquor from the rector's cupboard before and after the service. The Reverend King closed the cupboard. We have opened it again. Welcome to the rector's cupboard. Order. The next couple of episodes of Rector's Cupboard are a bit different from our usual format. This summer, some of the crew from Rector's Cupboard, Todd, Amanda, and myself, took a road trip to Alberta to visit some farmers, as one does. Through our work with the Vancouver School of Theology, we met Marcus Reedner, a regenerative farmer living just outside of Calgary. So we asked him if we could come and see his farm, and maybe he could introduce us to some other farmers in the Calgary area. For whatever reason, Marcus agreed. And so at the end of July, we got in a car and drove from where we're based in North Vancouver to Calgary. Aside from the novelty of farming for us city folk, we were really interested in visiting Marcus, mostly because of why he says that he farms. The Reedner's farm, called Happiness by the Acre, is a regenerative farm, which Marcus will define much better in this episode than I do here. But the gist of regenerative farming is farming in a way that is beyond sustainable that actively puts carbon back into the soil, which, as you might guess, is difficult, labor-intensive, and expensive. But as Marcus explained to us, they farm this way in response to what they believe their relationship to the land should be, and actually, I think Marcus would state it more strongly, what the relationship with the land needs to be. And this is informed by their faith. We got to tour their farm and also got to meet some friends of theirs, Jeremy Clyde from the Alberta Yak Company and Rod Olson from YYC Growers and Land of Dreams and other organizations he works with. In all of these places, we encountered so much generosity and kindness. They were generous with their time, their products, their willingness to educate us. There is so much that we have to learn from them. So in these next few episodes, we invite you to come along with us as we meet yaks and chickens and cows, learn about soil, and talk to people who are really taking seriously the call to care for all of creation, from providing better food for people to eat, better lives for their animals, and healing the land that they work on. Welcome to the Rector's Cupboard. There is no not dirty part on a farm. It does seem like that. My life is literally covered in shit. <laughs> the first farm that we arrived at was Happiness by the Acre, Sarah and Marcus Reedner's farm. Marcus was our connection at the Vancouver School of Theology and was our first stop when we arrived in Calgary. We arrived and put on sunscreen and mosquito repellent and hats and began walking around the farm. Oh, yeah, we don't care. Yeah, yeah, it's oh. just record our glorious mess and share it to the world. Yeah, perfect. Hey, um, we're pretty open about how, how, how often we fail and how <laughs> insane we are. <laughs> this is not a nice, clean German farm. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is a bunch of city kids who went into agriculture who are barely trying to figure out how to get this to work. So, yeah, Sarah and I have uh, some total now of... 10 years of agricultural experience. So we've like, I started urban farming about 
11 years ago. So, okay. not long. And now we chase cows and pigs and chickens <laughs> and it's all the things. Okay. So, uh, how about we, we can go walk down to the main herd. Sure. Um, and you guys can pet some cows. Jim's cows are super nice. And how many are in the main flock or main herd? Uh, the main herd right now, I think we have 65 pair. So that's a cow and a calf plus, uh, hmm, what's the best way? This way. <laughs> okay. I don't want to, I, we could walk all the way around the long way, but it's a little bit of a trek. So we'll, we'll okay. hoof it through some tall grass. Okay. So what are we looking at? Like what land is yours here? Okay. So got the pigs we over have, yeah, there. the pigs are over here right now. There's a mark, the market gardens, which I don't do are over there. And there's our dugout and our wild space and our fail orchard is over there. And then we have our natural pond is down here. The cows are over here right now. And then we actually wrap around this house here and we have uh, probably another 30 acres on the other side. And so when we originally bought, there, were, there was nothing here. So this, this property was heavily industrial farmed for, I would say probably since 1970. Yeah, we've been here 10 so years 10 now. 10 years. Yeah. And for the first three or four years, we, uh, we just kind of leased it to the guy who was doing the grain and such and took over an area over here, which we collectively call the fail orchard. Um, and that was our, our foyer into uh, large scale permaculture. Um, we installed a four acre food forest. What does that mean? Uh, what <laughs> like, it, just assume we're super ignorant. Because uh, we are. Like, it's, which, it's a good Which term? Assumption. Permaculture, food forest, or fail orchard? How about all of it? <laughs> okay. Uh, permaculture is like a, uh, it's a combination of agroecology and regenerative agriculture and a bunch of like uh, organic farming techniques. In the permaculture, there's a common concept of a food forest, which is where you, t you, take, uh, you take a set of food producing plants for your bioregion and you kind of stack them together into what are called guilds. So you would have like an apple tree in the middle and then some berry trees around it and then some like uh, flowering medicinal plants in a ring around that at the bottom. And then you would kind of plop those around and kind of make a manufactured forest. Anyway, we installed four acres of food forest uh, and it is an absolute failure. It is a complete train wreck. That was the first thing we did and it went sideways so fast. There's probably 1,500 shrubs and trees that we put in and 6,000 asparagus and 200 rhubarb and I don't even know what all else. And what was the failure? Uh, it, it rapidly got taken over by thistles and weeds and in or we, I sat down and I ran the numbers on it. In order for me to get it under control and actually run it, uh, it was going to take... Uh, four to six full-time employees. So it got taken over by thistles and now it's moved, transitioned into dandelions and grass. After that, we kind of took a look at the property and said, okay, what does the land here actually want to be? Mm. Like we can put in, we can try and force our way to make it into a food forest or a fruit patch or something, but that's just clearly not going right. to work. 
We have sunscreen inside and we have bug spray too. I just put it in Unless you want mosquito bites, you'll probably want some sort of off or deet. Okay. This is like the first time I've ever been excited about mosquitoes because last the last two years the drought has been so bad. We had zero mosquitoes last year. It and was that's an indication of yeah. They need water. The <clears throat> they need water to they're breeding they lay their eggs in water. Um and we had no water. <laughs> like uh, the drought, well, by the end of it, the drought was pretty severe. Technically we're not in a drought, but the groundwater and the water in the soil has not fully recovered. That'll uh, take another year and a half or two years. Okay. So unfortunately we'll probably be hit with another drought cycle before it fully recovers. Mm. And that's just part of the climate changing. Yeah, is, is that kind of, I know in BC, well, particularly in the lower mainland, we, we had like the heat dome and stuff like that. And then I think it moved. We had the heat, yeah. It, you guys just got it a little after us. It was insane. I've never, it yeah, was. Yeah. I've it never was, experienced anything like that. Yeah, like that sort of extreme heat event is not normal. And, and it, it just about killed our cattle. And it, oh. it literally baked our entire farm. And we were, by the time the heat dome left, we had no more grass to graze. So we sent the cows home after they were here for like six weeks. So we do custom grazing. So our neighbor brings his cows over. Oh, okay. Oh, um, I was gonna ask, what do you mean by send the cows home? Like... Yeah, so we, custom grazing, uh, the cows come from a neighbor's farm. We host his cow calves and some bulls. We manage how much grass they get every day and we move them pretty much every day. Okay, and... so are those the cows <coughs> that we're seeing over no, here? No, those are our steers. Those oh, are- Oh, you have your own end? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. So we actually, so we do his, run his cattle and we rotate him through. And then we buy steers from him to finish for beef. Oh, so okay. these, these, these steers over here have actually spent the majority of their time on our farm, except for a narrow window, window in the winter when they're over at Jim's place just around the corner. Okay. And Jim also is like he cuts our hay, and so yeah, I was just the saying, deal like, is it looks like it's 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 haying season. It beginning. is, yeah, <laughs> uh, middle of yeah. Um, he'll be bailing probably on the weekend if we don't get a thunderstorm. Are you expecting one? They could come whenever. Yeah. <laughs> okay, less those, predictable. Those little those little fluffy innocent clouds on the horizon <laughs> can turn into a thunderstorm dropping marble to golf ball sized hail in a couple hours but we're not anticipating that okay. for the next couple days so as we continued on our tour we got back to one of the main questions that came out of our conversation with marcus what does the land want to do you said that after the failure of the, uh, the <coughs> forest yes um, you asked the question what does the land want to do <coughs> yeah and then you <coughs> we realized went. that it wants to do what Grass. The, the natural bioregion here is, is, we're on the cusp of what's the Alberta region's called uh, parkland and foothills and prairie. So we're kind of in an area where we can kind of try and push in a couple different directions, but it really wants to be grass. So we put it, as soon as we put it into grass and pasture, it just, everything clicked into place and it started really banging. What we really do is grow grass and pasture, and then we use livestock to harvest that into food because humans can't eat pasture. We wandered around through the fields a little bit longer trying to find our way to the cows. I can't remember, I can't find my gate. <laughs> Look at that, gates. <laughs> when we put the, the field in, we put in 
I can't remember what our original pasture blend was, but I think we've got at this point 15 species of grass and legumes, and we just uh, keep adding new species in. This year we're adding in things that have more drought tolerance. The um, climate modeling for this area, the cycle will be two years of drought, two years of normal, and then one year of, of random. It could be either drought or really heavy rain. Okay. Um, and that modeling was done by Catherine Hayhoe. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She did that modeling for, for the Alberta government. Uh, the Alberta government was really hoping to get a model that said that climate change was really going to benefit Alberta, and what she came back with didn't make the Alberta government happy, so they never huh. use it. Interesting. Yeah. Shocking how that works. Shocking so how, how pro-oil Alberta is like, <laughs> you, what do you mean, we, it's not going to be good for us, but we're going to be warmer, and that's good because we're cold here. And It's like, actually, no, it just means you're not going to get as much moisture, and you're going to drought yeah. out. This is same point. We've just been hand broadcasting this in and the cows stomp it in and it's coming in finally. They're beautiful. Like, I mean, when I think of grasses, I think of just green and there's so many flowers. Yeah, we accidentally went too heavy on alfalfa. Is that what the purple is? <laughs> the, so the alfalfa is, there's blues and purples and there's a cream. The pink is sainfoin. And then these little bright, sunshiny yellow that's bird's foot and then we started actually throwing wildflower out too um, i mean it's just it's absolutely beautiful like just the the colors yeah it's really really nice and then this uh this is our eco buffer uh which is a really fancy term for a messy shelter belt which is a really fancy term for a row of trees and so we've got i think 16 or 17 species of tree and shrub um, now our farm's laid out on what's called key line planning. Uh, that's basically just a system of uh, laying out your farm for water management. In our case, because of the nature of our water environment here, we actually adapted that for wind management. They will break up the wind and catch snow. So as, as the climate continues to produce less, as it, as it warms in Alberta, we're going to get less snow every year, is the way the model looks. And so anything we can do to catch snow is going to be critical for our farm. So it's a bit of future-proofing. Yeah. Yeah. We've got willows, we've got sea buckthorn and poplars and some native species and all sorts of stuff. This will catch snow. Um, and then in the summer when it's full grown, it will also provide shade for the cows. And then we can also graze pigs through it. So we can use the pigs. So how long does that all take? Like when does it start to grow up? When Sam is yeah. into his 30s and 40s, yeah. he will be able no, to fully utilize this space. Generational, multi-generational. Well, I have a 100-year forestry plan that I've developed for the property. Yeah. The next stage on our shelter belts here is we're going to replant everything that the drought killed, and then I'm going to start putting in things like oak. Mm -hmm. And like an oak yeah. is a, is long term. <laughs> oak oak is a 150-year project. Part of the forestry plan that I have is we plant, we're planting species that not only provide like wood and windbreak and just trees and aesthetics, but also increase the caloric production of the space for wildlife. 
So the oaks will bring in acorns, which are high calories. Ah. And we've got Saskatoons and a whole bunch of berry trees that are scattered through here. And so as we develop our forestry program, we're not just putting in things like willow, um, which grow fast, or poplar, which grow fast. We're also looking at developing the caloric production for wildlife. That's a plan, like for the land not just to get something from the land correct yeah and and for us that's part of stewardship and and like we're managing an ecosystem not really farming Mm. i would say and so we're always looking for okay well what species can we add that will provide more food for bees and for natural pollinators and habitat for birds and then food for birds and all of those sorts of things because as we build more robust ecosystems on our property we become more drought proof we become mm-hmm. more aesthetically pleasing um, and then that opens us to having opportunities for things like agritourism and and a whole bunch of other ways of of capitalizing on that but largely it just makes for a really nice repaired environment mm-hmm. and as long as the environment is, and the land are healthy and we're participating with it in a healthy way we'll be able to feed ourselves and others. And so that's, that's kind of the cornerstone of what we're doing is that we, we want to be participants with the land and the ecosystem and our community through, through food and, and food production. And it just takes time. Yeah, and it, right. a, lot of it, a lot of it is just kind of... Like we, there, anytime we've tried to rush things, mm. and like with our fail forest, we were trying to push and really push and rush and it just backfires and so you just kind of have to part it's frustrating because i, I want to <laughs> yeah. i'm from the tech sector and so i'm i'm yeah, like yeah. i'm used to like i want it done and i want it done now but like sometimes it just takes how long it takes and you kind of have to that's the hard part for for yeah. accepting is that you just kind of got to wait it and that's that's one of the sad things about agriculture right now is the community is completely gutted like your You're average losing those people Oh yeah, like in Alberta, we're losing, we lose five to 10% of farmers a year. We're down to 46,000 farmers for the entire province and next year it'll be down to 42. And is this a generational shift or is it people? Well, there's no money in it, right? So like there is no money in farming and definitely no money in regenerative farming. I don't care what anybody on the internet's (laughs) saying, there's no money in it. What's happening is, is, so the land is, it's basically tenant farming. So somebody owns the land sometimes large equity holding firms uh, and they lease the land uh, to to industrial farmers and some of those industrials are family operations some of them are corporate operations some of them are uh, individuals um, you know your average farm in farm operation now is in Alberta I think at 1600 acres uh, and for perspective ours is 100 we have 153 acres the the part of Alberta that we're in from probably Lethbridge to Red Deer and then out to <clears throat> probably just past, <clears throat> well, up to probably the Saskatchewan border, that mm-hmm. kind of square, mm-hmm. is probably the hard, one of the hardest spots in North America to do crops. Really? Yeah. Because... Yet, yet there are lots of crops there. Well, like, like things like wheat and canola and, and row crop, as those kind of things will do fine. But things like uh, peas and potatoes and like corn and your your like your vegetables and your market garden, this is a, a hell of a place to do it, because we have a really short growing window, so we have 
technically our growing window is 110 days, what? but it's actually plus or minus 20 days because I've, we can get a frost here as late as the 1st of July and as early as mid-August. So if you get hit with a frost in July and August, your growing window was actually like only like two and a half months. Wow. So, and then we get hail. <laughs> like we are in probably the worst hail belt in North America, possibly the world. Like this area, like crop damage here in Alberta from hail is between one and $5 billion every year every year it's just it's we are always getting something and it, yeah it is it really is it feels really hopeless like we've got some friends and i can eat locusts yeah. I, although there are in the middle of the drought last year we were i was just standing in our baked fields like i'm praying for hail i just hail anything send me golf ball baseball sized hail it'll it's, melt, it'll melt. <laughs> it's moisture um, and nobody had any crops anyway. Everything was baked to death. So some folks we know in the Bowdoin area and then up in the Red Deer area, and they got hit with hail this year and it wiped out their CSA. They're done for the season. Is that like one day? 20 minutes. Oh. 20 minutes ruined an entire year's of work, entire year of work. Yeah. And it was unheard of. They, they had 20 minutes of solid pea and grape sized hail. And those sorts of storms are getting more common and worse. Mm. And it's, only, it's as the climate continues to, to get hotter, it's going to get worse and worse. We finally arrived at the cows. Here, we'll walk oh. in. We'll go visit. Yeah. Um, oh, the calves. They're so cute. So all the cows oh, that have H's oh. were born last year. They okay. were calves last year. G's are the year before, F's are the year before that. So if you just want to step over. I love that they're oh. all lined up here, like they're waiting for you. They are waiting for me yeah, to move them. Rough. They will, yeah. they'll actually follow me around and. Oh, they're beautiful. Hi. They're closing in on 1600 pound cows now. They're big. Yeah, that, um, that gets a little more concerning. And when they get real frisky, you know how the, how dogs do that jumping hunker down thing? Yeah. Yes. They do that. No. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, the cows do that. And it's when <laughs> they were not the way I understood cows. When they were calves, it was super cute and you're like kind of play with them. But, <laughs> and then you teach then, them accidentally. And you teach them accidentally. And now when they do it, it's like, okay, they're gonna flip my UTV. <laughs> or me. Oh, stay still. Thank you. Yeah. So Sam, do you have, have a favorite pig? cow? Pig. You have a favorite pig? No, uh the favorite cow is named pig because our farmhand thought the tag was pig, but it was nineteen G. Pig was uh, an orphan, so her mum rejected her, but Pig is, turns out to be a really good mum. So she's, oh, so she's, she's really, a mum herself now. She's had two calves. She's on her second now. Okay. What do we get to see next? Uh, let's go see chickens. Do you mind schlepping through the no, tall no, no, grass? No, no, no. Okay. Okay, cool. Ooh, thank you. <laughs> so we have six structures here. Yes. And are, like, is there like a segregation between the flocks? Uh, the flock to the south, which is closest to the tree belt. Yeah. Those ones are the elder flock and these are the younger flock. Okay. And what sort of age does elder flock entail again? Uh, elder flock, this is their second summer on pasture. Okay. So these are the new ones? These are our new ones. They just have started laying in the last two weeks. So how old are they then? 22, 23 weeks old. 
weeks. Yeah. Wow. And then uh, the elder flock, they'll, they're already slowing down. Okay. Yeah, and they will age out. We'll do our, our farewell day call on them in... We usually wait until the weather turns and the pasture's done, so usually it'll be around October. End of October, mid-October, just okay. as we're moving into the barns for the winter. Farewell day is your turn. Farewell day farewell is my day. turn. So for, tell us what happens there. Oh, well, that's the day we cull all the elder hens, and uh, cull means to kill. We, uh, we set up with a crew, and we have a set of kill cones, and we come out, and uh, we, in the past, our, our farmhand has helped, and he does a smudge. You know, I pray over and I thank each bird, and then we have a process. We do a sanguination, so we put them, invert them into the cone. The blood rushes to their head and they get drowsy. We slit on both sides of the neck. They bleed out. Mm. Um, it's the second fastest route to brain death, but it is the fastest route to unconsciousness and body death. So it's the least, the most humane way that you can We do consider that. it the most humane. Uh, the farewell day thing is probably one of the weirdest moments that I find on the farm. It's, it's, I would really love if we could give these chickens a longer life. But the reality is, once they hit that second year and they go into their second winter, they get a lot of cancers, they get this stuff called water belly, like their bodies oh. just fall apart so fast. It would be really nice if we could move to a, like a more heritage breed. They would lay slower and live longer and we could probably have a laying flock that you could push into three to five year range between culls. The problem is that those heritage varieties, their laying rate is so much slower, we can't make, they eat the same amount, yeah. they lay less eggs. Which means you can't we, make We then can't be regenerative in the sense of we can't have a profit. Right. We're at break even for eggs when we sell them. Like yeah. there is part where I think when you, when you get into like the industrial kind of production of food sources, I think a lot of people are more comfortable with the ignorance of not knowing yeah, what I, that entails. And I am always trying to break that ignorance. Yeah, I love it's, telling people that that chicken that they're enjoying, that they say is environmentally friendly, is six weeks old. <laughs> Once you get used to well, tasting the, quality of, the flavor of like a chicken raised on grass that's lived a longer period versus a barn-raised chicken, you can actually... Barn-raised chicken smell and taste like shit. And, and it like, uh, I have by far the most sensitive nose on the farm. Um, by far, I'm always complaining about smells. But when I open up like a pack of ribs, they smell, I open it up, I'm like, yeah, that's feces, that's pig. I'm smelling pig shit. Because industrial pigs spend their entire lives standing in, past in their knees in their own feces. They get hosed down every day and they clean them out, but they're largely sitting and spending their life in their own shit. So. I mean, it seems like the, the choices that, that you guys are making requires an immensely greater amount of uh, cost as well as like physical, emotional yeah. kind of labor. Like it does take a lot more. And Marcus gets into that later in our interview with him. But in the meantime, Amanda and I went to go and collect chicken eggs and Marcus and Todd began talking about school. Logical education is, how's it connected to what you're doing here? Uh, so that's such an interesting and complicated question yeah. that I'm writing a thesis on it. Okay. <laughs> so you're asking the same question? Yeah. 
I am. Yeah. So it's, it's tough because before, like I didn't become a Christian until later in life. I wasn't raised a Christian. I was raised ambivalent. And so for me, it's sometimes it's hard to, to say, well, did I come into this because of faith or did I come into this because of my concern about the environment? Right. And largely it's just, it all kind of dovetails and flows together. Um, One informs the other. It's yeah, like, like I would almost say that my move towards Christianity was motivated by my care for the environment and others. And Christianity provided an intellectual framework mm -hmm. and a spiritual framework for that. Um, and because I was raised outside of the Christian bubble, I'm forever finding like all these things where there's large pockets of Christianity that are like, no, that's not yeah, the you're way. You're not talking about the standard evangelical experience. And no. You know, and how, how they conceive of the land, yeah, and dominion and farming. Yeah. And, and the, the yeah. huge irony is, is like, we've, we had, like, I was baptized in an, like a, a Canadian Missionary Alliance Evangelical oh, yeah. Church. I'm like sitting in, in yeah. and so I'm chilling in an evangelical church and I'm for sure the most socially and, and yeah. politically liberal person in the room. And, right. uh, I'm all about the creation care. And the, the interesting thing is creation care is an evangelical movement. That's, sure. It's rooted out of evangelicalism. It's just that there's been this weird turn in the last 30 years. Um, yeah, that's more tied to, to privilege and empire yeah. and, and things than it is to, to theology and faith in my opinion but I have I have a really terrible habit of just assuming that the way I see the world is the way others see the world right. I just kind of move through the world uh, operating like in a particular way that this is the way it kind of should be and so I'm just going to operate this way and people can come along with yeah. it uh, or if they're not there then I guess I take the time but um, yeah like for the longest time I thought like my height was average height yeah. Yeah, and I for the longest time I thought that like because everybody in my family is tall, like he's, I'm just always around tall people, so I just assumed it's normal. But then, and in terms of when you use that metaphor and go to the faith thing, you go into the city, Calgary or whatever. Yeah. And you like, or, or even most of Alberta in terms of its conservatism. Oh yeah, yeah. In we're terms of the, Bible the Belt evangelical here, yeah. base. Yeah, yeah. Um, you now know how. Yeah, I do know. Like, I like. I, how, how do people like that? You must be friends with some people, but how do they the make sense of somebody like you? Uh, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. I can't. I don't know how to answer that. I Just like you. I don't. I don't. I'm, you have this interest. Yeah. You have this connection to the land. That's great. So there's not kind of. I think they like the idea of of mm. really good quality food. They like mm. the idea of repairing the environment mm -hmm. for the most part. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that, I don't, I think there's a really big divide when it comes to that being a component of your faith and spiritual life. Got it. And even more so as part of your calling as a follower of Christ, yeah. that, that the entire concept of salvation as worked out through the resurrection and action on the cross yeah. isn't just tied to you and your individuality. It's not just your personal salvation. Yeah. And it's yes. not just humans. It with, it's yeah. All Cosmos, of reality, land, everything gets, people, gets, yeah. and, and for That's me, very well put. yeah. And for me, yeah. like theologically for me, yeah. the resurrection, like for a lot of evangelicals, it's this rapture thing or this thing that's coming <laughs> to rescue us from this, to rescue us from place. this yeah. terrible reality. Yeah. And for me, it's like, well, the, the resurrection has already happened. We are already resurrected. 
and we are moving forward the working out of the and the working out of our response to what happened with Christ. And then for me, like, I'm going to die. I'm a really big bodily resurrection guy. It's so ironic because it is probably the least rational component of, like, I'm sure... Like, because my background was pretty hard atheist, so it's probably the, the biggest leap I've made from atheism into, into my faith. I'm a big body resurrection guy, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to kick the bucket, I'm going to die, it's going to be lights out, and then I'm going to wake up instantly in my new resurrection body. There is no need for a heaven or hell or a span between. I'm just going to, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to be in my new resurrection body. And so, for me, theologically, yes. a lot of the concerns about heaven, hell, purgatory, all, like, there's so much theology. You, I'm you just don't like, think that way. I'm just like, I'm like, that... That's like it, other people's interest, yeah, kind of. That's like somebody else. I'm like, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, that seems to be a deep concern about some form of temporality. Yes. And for me, my faith in, in the way I view the resurrection and, and a lot of this stuff is detemporalized. Got it. Like, the, the component of time isn't there because... Look, if we've got it's this all-powerful God yeah, and we've got this all-powerful yeah. resurrection event that's going to repair and remediate everything, well, I die and pff, there's no, there is no necessary need for something in right. between. And there is no necessary... Do you, do you feel that in terms of the land and the animals and like you talk about this ceremony? And... Uh, so the process of repairing the land is a lot of work and it's slow and it's painstaking and it's a mountain of effort. And I, you know, I think the process of repairing yourself spiritually yeah. and physically and the land and all those tie together because there is, like I do agree, there is this spiritual and physical divide that we have, you know, from what we see in Genesis, yeah. something happened. I'm, I, you know, yeah. the poetics and, and the language yeah. in scripture, you can interpret it a lot of ways, but something happened that pulled us away from that. And when we try and move back towards that, it is, is immense amount of work mm. because you're fighting against uh, systems and structures that really don't want you to go that way. So then is... Is patience a big part of your life, not just spiritually, but I'm, like on the farm it is, but spiritually as well? Uh, I am probably one of the most impatient people yeah. on the planet. I'm horrible with But yeah, patience. here you are. Yeah, but here I am. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, and that's one of the things, like the working with the land, it really does force you to be patient. Like we put in this orchard, this fail yeah. orchard, and our, our plans, I was like, yeah, within five years, we're going to be straddle harvesting hazelnuts. And I was just sold. I was you like, yeah, this is, this is going to be amazing. And we're going to be, it's going to, we're going to be banging and we're going to be heroes and superstars in agriculture and all this jazz. And then like literally 12 months later, it's an absolute train wreck. And I was like, okay, that sort of thinking does not belong here and it doesn't work. Probably one of the nice things about working with this is, and this kind of comes from tech sector too, is the idea that it, failing is just learning how right. not to do it. And so like we're here and we fail and you learn how not to do it. The really challenging part on failure in an agricultural context is, especially with livestock, is when you screw up, it costs mm. somebody else its life. The nature of death is something that I'm really trying mm. to work out because... We're on a farm. Yeah, we're on a farm and you deal with death constantly. Mm -hmm. And when you're working with an ecosystem and you look at ecosystems, ecosystems, death and life are, are death life mm. or life death. There, there's no... Right. The separation between life and death for living things is non-existent. And for theology, it's very existence. Oh, there's something informative there for questions. For yeah. Yeah, and so there's there's this part of my thesis thinking where I'm trying, really trying to grapple with 
the nature of reality and the ecosystem and then the nature of theological expressions yeah. of death like, like a theology of death yeah like where because you know there's death aware is thy sting yeah and yeah how does that how does that here how does that work here where where yeah. like literally everything around me is eating something else yeah. like this is like we look across the field and we see trees and life and birds and and everything's alive but all of it is dying there's yeah. death for everything that's alive there's things that are dead and dying and there has to be. And there has to be. That is hard baked into the way ecosystems work. So that like, do we then say, okay, the fall represents yeah. if that. If we just do away with death, everything will be perfect. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I don't know about that. Yeah. I'm like, I don't necessarily see death as a bad thing right. because death and life are death life. Like they're, yeah. they're woven together. So yeah. That question, what does it mean that death is defeated? Yeah. The and enemy, what is yeah. That, yeah. How does that work? And then I, I kind of shift more into, to psychological, theological modes where you're, you're dealing with how is it that you, you interact with and perceive death and, mm. and how is it that, what is, is it the sting of dying and that loss right. or is it, is it the psychology like, Oh, now I have accepted death and as part of life and that life is part of death and then there's no sting because right and for me and then i i i make the i make the horrible theology jump and i say well there's a gap here so i'm just going to jump to the resurrection that's, that's a great place and to i be just in. jump my resurrection body <laughs> with a I, snap I of my it. fingers so. I so it it's it's not fully formed and uh, i i really yeah. like how the the experience here the land itself the location the kind of um informs those questions yeah that you then ask theologically in it. yeah and it's it's weird and the more time i spend doing the theology degree and the more time i spend farming at the same time the yeah. more the more interested in that i become and the yeah. more complicated it gets so did you want to set up inside or are you guys short on time we've been wandering around and we then got a chance to sit down with Sarah and Marcus, as well as their sons, Boaz and Sam. Boaz was a little too small to be on mic, but Sam spoke with us for a little bit. So we have Marcus and Sarah uh, Reidner. 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 Oh, damn it. Don't worry. I've, nobody gets it right. It's fine. Okay. So I'm just normal. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So we have come out to, well, it's Carstairs. Carstairs, Didsbury. Yeah. Yeah. Just outside of Calgary. Uh, Rector's Cupboard has, we, we got in a car, we, we drove through mountains, they were beautiful, and we've landed in beautiful farm country and uh, convinced Marcus and Sarah to chat with us a little bit. There's a rooster and there's kids and it's awesome. I love it. So welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for coming out. And you guys run Happiness by the Acre yes. Farm. Uh, tell us about the name. Where did it come from? How did it start? Uh, there was a long list and a... Red sheet, if I remember. No, no, no. you're not, not remembering it right at I'm all. I'm not remembering no. it right. I don't. Okay, Sarah, it. go ahead. It, it started <laughs> off as a pie shop. Do you remember? Oh right! You How were going we, to run a pie shop. We thought back in the yeah. day when it was like cupcakes were the new hot ah, bakery yes, thing. Yes, Marcus yes. doesn't like cake, and he's all about like pie. <gasps> and you? so we yes. thought, oh, let's do a pie shop, and we'll call it Happiness by the Slice. And then. <gasps> Okay. Uh, then I, I don't get know. That. Yeah. yeah, and then you life still do that. Do you ever think maybe a pie shop would have been easier? <laughs> Absolutely, okay. a pie shop would have been way more lucrative. Yeah. Yes, yes, I think better. we would have yeah. been further ahead if we yeah. did yeah. that. Absolutely. But easier. so now it's happiness by the acre because we ended up in farming. Yeah, yeah. 
And people can go online. We'll say this right now. People yes. can go online and see this and see. Yeah, they can. Do. Social media. I mean, your guys' Instagram is beautiful. Yeah. Which one of you runs it? Yeah, I was going to say, is it Not these me. <laughs> Yeah, that's me. I love it. It's fun. It's my creative outlet. Yeah. For, yep. Well, yeah, and if anyone's uh, local to the Calgary area, they sell also they sell eggs, duck eggs, even only duck egg people in Calgary area. I'm pretty sure we're the only duck egg people in Calgary. Yeah, yeah I'm uh, not gonna I'm not gonna hold duck egg listeners. But they have like that. amazing pork and uh, chicken and yak. We do. We sell uh, our friend Jeremy. Uh, he has a yak herd, and we yeah, sell yeah. We're yak. going to see him tomorrow. I'm yeah. excited about oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're they purr. They're amazing. They're oh, purring we're going to have to get like that sound. Yeah, and then uh, we'll have uh, beef, grass-finished beef, coming in September. September. Yeah. yeah, somewhere yeah. around there. So, yeah. So tell us your story, how you wound up here. This is not something you've been doing forever. <laughs> this is not your family background, is farming, neither one of you, correct? So no. somehow, something happened, and here you are. Tell us. Uh, okay, so I have a friend named Jessica and her now husband, Cam. Uh, they went to a course um, on urban farming and spin farming and they roped me into it and uh, I started by doing two yards that were on my bus route to work in the tech sector mm. so I was uh, would jump off the bus weed jump on the bus jump off the bus and so forth and then we would sell all the veg into the office that we worked at and that's when I started doing that. And then we expanded into doing food in our backyard and then other people's backyards. <laughs> and then we joined this organization called YYC Growers and Distributors. And we started doing more market gardens. And then we bought farmland and we tried to market garden out here. And it was a train wreck. <laughs> that was the original idea? The original idea was we were going to do... So we were, that's how you got here? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we just kind of like got into my blood and then it came like we just kept going forward and forward with it and like the original draw to it was uh like environmentalism and um like the largest impact space that humans have on the ecosystem globally is agriculture um and we figured well if we're going to address issues around climate change mm -hmm. and the environment you know we should probably start where we have the human largest human impact mm -hmm. and we said okay well that's gonna have to be where we get our food from and you know along the way both of us have become pretty big foodies and yeah it's just kind of over time just developed more and more along that Ooh, i have a, there's a customer there's a, Ooh, visitor. There's a customer okay the, no, 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 well, no, how we, perfect we'll is wait. that i was like this never happens though hello it's fantastic <clears throat> Uh, you know what? We don't have any veg right now. We're, okay. It's still growing. Uh, I have garlic skates if you want garlic. Oh, no. No, I'm not. I'm just driving and I'm trying to find the honest box. Now my phone is ringing. So Everybody uh, wants Marcus. Now, you guys don't do sustainable farming. You guys do what you call regenerative farming. Regenerative. Regenerative. Ah, maybe we'll yeah. edit that part out. Yeah. Um, but, tell but, us what the difference is. Uh, it's just a different buzzword. Just a different buzzword? <laughs> no, it's, no way, it's uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, so, the, so sustainability is about sustaining where you're at. Yeah. And maintaining where you're at. And the reality is that uh, agricultural soils and the environment is not at a point where we can sustain it anymore. It's in full-blown collapse. So I don't think we need to sustain full-blown right. collapse. We need to start regenerating and repairing. So the difference between sustainability and regenerative is largely that we seek to repair damage that is done. That's that's the biggest difference. So tell us a little bit about how that impacts your your farming practices. 
Uh, so we, it basically means that we start with the soil and we focus on, on what's going on in the soil health and uh, mm -hmm. building a healthy ecosystem in the soil and then out from the soil into the surrounding ecosystem. So we, it's less about, uh, the way I think of it is less about like farming in the sense of the way most people would think agriculture and more about managing ecosystems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So by managing complex ecosystems, we're regenerating, <clears throat> we're regenerating soil health and, and regenerating wild spaces and, and the general area around us. And then we become more drought robust and we start mitigating climate change and all of that starts to happen. And, and uh, it's just a different way of thinking and, and operating on things. Mm. But we talked about that before when we were, you know, walking, walking through the farm with you, and that takes more time than you have. It takes we have way more time than we have, right? Like we are, we we do need staff for sure, and but we are super time stressed. Trying so to time stressed in terms of the time each day. Yes. So just the amount of tasks and what you can get done. Yeah. And then the regenerative farming in terms of years. Yeah. decades at the climate crisis yeah, yeah. just like, this I is mean, something that it's it's really interesting because the climate crisis is placing a time stress on the window is getting narrower and yeah. anybody who sits through one of my presentations at vst knows mm -hmm. that i am just an impending wall of doom stats all the time <laughs> yeah. and um yeah like like our timeline here is really really stressful um my goal in, and, uh, and maybe Sarah's too, I can't speak for her, but one of the goals is that I would like to leave the world a less shitty place mm. for my kids. Mm. So that that's one of the main drivers in the background mm. when I'm trying to keep mm -hmm. going on some of the stuff is that I don't want my son Sam to ha inherit a Mad Max dystopia. Mm -hmm. I would really like to avoid that. So... <laughs> Does it feel like, I imagine you have different feelings on different days about that. There must be times that where the work is just so much, or you say like a storm comes in and it's 20 minutes, or the cows go on the hill or something and this, this amount of work is done, where in order to sustain that kind of long-term vision, there's days where you just, you, I would imagine, where you just can't. Yeah. But where mm -hmm. you, just, you, you just keep going because the task is right there. How do you kind of... How for you guys have you navigated that? We have bad arguments over text messages. Like yeah, I'm night. sure. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. gonna say yeah. The, yeah. It's the like, do we stay married? I don't know. Do we keep doing this? Yeah. Do we? Are yeah. we done? Like, is this it? Yeah. Like, it, that's regular. I mean, yeah. I know people work at jobs in offices and they and are feel unhappy pressure and, and they feel, feel pressure yeah. and they're like, but I mean, this is literally like, do we just sell it all and we just scrap this and we just start again or? Yeah do we keep going and we yeah I, I mean mental health mm -hmm. is such a huge part of it and I mean even just like last week I was I really struggled with our meat birds that we're raising up mm -hmm. really not happy with how it's going and the pressure and the stress and the like every day daily facing them um and so I just I literally I reached a point when I had to I took the day I, I came into the farm it was just feed and water make sure everyone was alive and I went back to bed and I just stayed in bed I, I mean that's not that's not healthy but that's yeah. what I could do and like you know and and feed and keep the kids alive and yeah. and then tomorrow I'm hoping that I can have a better perspective right. on it right and so and you do like we do like that's the thing you could somehow come back the next day mm. or in a couple of days and it feels better if you, you get that positive 
okay, this is what I'm supposed we're to be doing. We're part of something bigger. This is, yeah, it's that faith aspect. Yeah. Like, it's like, okay, like I'm going to be equipped to do this. Like it's, I just got to keep going. And like, there are things I can control. There are things I can't. And yeah. But so. you know, either know people or you would be aware for yourself that it does, it does go the other way too. You, yep. you, in other words, you could see for some people who decide to get out yeah. or to stop. Yeah, or whatever. and I mean, that's totally reasonable. And I mean, you have you some can. advantages that not some other people don't have. Yeah. No, yeah and you we still have, are there. Yeah, yeah. We, have, we have investments and finances that allow us the privilege of, of, of weathering the financial component to this. Well, and doing like it in the, the first place. Yeah, like doing it in the first place. Buying a farm. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, the, the, like Sarah's talking about the, the emotional and the mental load and, and those sorts of things on top of that is, is <coughs> a, a really craptastic financial load. Like mm. the fin- like the, mm. the money in doing this financially is not there. And, you know, like I think I was saying before, yeah. we, we do sell, we sell premium product into Calgary at premium prices. Yeah. And we still, and still, we're still in the red every, every month I go into the finances and I'm like, man, it's, and it's always something, right? Like feed prices went up, like, 200% in the last eight months. Like, and it wasn't like before that you were like, oh, there's all kinds of financial space here. Yeah, no, I know. No, no, like, no it's always a, yeah, that it's, tightness, right? And yeah. so like, you, and and the reality of, of setting up a regenerative farm from nothing, from scratch is, hmm. you know, you buy the land. If you're going to go that route, you can lease land and do it. That has its own challenges because then you don't own the land. It's harder to, to set things up the way you want. Um, and then you, you like, We've spent a hundred and sixty thousand dollars on fences. Yeah, just on fences. Yeah, and you're talking about kind of reworking that. Well, yeah, I gotta you gotta w- figure out some quirks with it. And stuff that's, like that. that's not necessarily <laughs> moving fences. Yeah, we, we need to, <laughs> how, we need it to how it all works. I gotta come in and readjust it because we've got errors. But in I our can't fences. even imagine that that's your largest expense. Uh, Feed is the big. Yeah. Sorry, it, tell no, us. That's okay. So then people like us come along, right? People like us come around and have this idea. <laughs> Allison and, and Amanda, well, we all were watching your presentation. And we're like, let's go to I Alberta. think I went in to get a coffee or something, and I came yeah, back into came the studio, and they're like, we're going to Alberta. I'm like, oh, okay. like, oh. Sorry, um, you can blame me partly for that, because I think you approached me, and I just said, okay, well, let's let's have you come meet like yeah. as many people as I can arrange to meet. I, well, I'm, yeah, cause I, I, I just, creep real fast. I just like... <laughs> logged into the zoom that you were presenting on in the in the conference and i was like hey what would you think about talking to us maybe we could do like a meetup and you're like yeah i could ask this person and this person i'm like okay i think we're doing this <laughs> yeah. well and we you know Sorry. we come in but you, I think got, that no. we can have like this like almost like romanticized kind of picture of it i don't think that i don't think anyone has has an image that anyone who works on a farm regardless what kind of farm it is doesn't work hard yeah. Um, and doesn't have kind of those those struggles that you guys have been talking about. But it, it does feel different in, in person. It's it's easy to romanticize. I'm like, oh, we're going and we're grabbing. We collected eggs with you, Sarah. And we Such went a and we, lovely <laughs> life. And we like pet the cows <laughs> and saw the ducks. And, and there were and, flowers. Yeah. And, and like we're dropping through. Like, shit everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> There's shit everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, I, I think that somehow my shoes remain clean. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's gone. like there is part where yeah. like... It feels, it's easy for somebody who this isn't our life to romanticize it. Absolutely. Well, yeah. and, and honestly. We get faced with that a lot, actually, since um, the movie Biggest Little Farm. Oh. People constantly, <coughs> they hear that we're farming and we have all these different kinds of animals and we're working on soil health. Yeah. And they're like, oh, there's this movie you got to see, uh, this like, documentary. And I'm like, 
Yep. I like almost couldn't sit through it because it was like at the Just beginning. The it's like us. It's like it's like I could. I can't. Oh, this is too, it shows this the real is, thing. Well, part it's in part. Parts of it are really like uh, okay. when the there's that whole series of scenes in the in there's a second one now I think. Yes, in the there, first yeah. one, the whole series of scenes where they're dealing with like how their livestock dog is murdering all their chickens, and how the That's foxes it. and the coyotes are killing all their chickens. That that sense of helplessness that you see in them they're like what do we do what do, like the what are we doing that sense of helplessness was probably one of the most realistic moments in yeah. the okay. film yeah and that is the the reality like when you de-romanticize and honestly we romanticize it ourselves like I, i'm romanticizing on a day-to-day basis well, and you probably wouldn't be here without some yeah of that yeah and yeah. when we got into it we were, had a real romantic yeah. vision of it um still sometimes do but that that scene that really encapsulates like bad feels on the farm mm-hmm. and the reality is a, there are days on the farm where it's like that is the one that's one thing in a chain of like 10 or 12 mm-hmm. moments yeah, like that that's not just the hot, like that's not the epitome of yeah, like a bad day that's, that's just one aspect of a bad and you, day you'll go farm. there's there's been days where we've had where it's been like that uh, after that after that and it's like 12 hours of that and, and it's just like it's and still like you talk about the things need to be done. The animals need water. They need food. Yep. yep. Your kids yep. need water and yes. food. <laughs> you guys need water and food. Like there are yeah. things that are just like variables that don't change ever. Like they have to be done whether you want to be there, whether you don't want to be there. Yeah. Like you you can't check out. No. No. And do you feel yeah. like like I mean most agriculture now is industrial? Yes. Yeah. So how about how how you relate to that. There's the, all, you know, the romanticization, there's kind of the theological thing of the land, there's climate change. There's, yeah. But you're also in this place where you know, all this land, acres and acres of land, but it's small compared to, We're to those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are considered in Alberta a hobby farm. No. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. an insane hobby. It's an insane <laughs> Apparently, hobby Apparently. I mean, you guys have gone real deep into this. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Well, there's two no. reasons why I would say that we'd be considered a hobby farm. One is the financial picture. But the reality for most industrial grain farmers is they're hobby farms, too, from a financial uh. perspective. But the other, the other reality is uh, until we have, for a lot of people, until you have a certain size tractor and a certain number of acres, you're not a real farmer. You're not really doing it. You're doing it for a hobby. And... Um, Hmm. The, 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 our relationship in terms of, uh, with our neighbors who are industrial farmers is we just try and be really friendly and, mm. and we're all, we're there. I don't hold anything against them. They're doing, they're doing what they think is, is the best for, for their land and under the, the paradigm that they're operating in. And, they, mm-hmm. and, and, and to be honest, turn and it, yeah, yeah. you just said this, does, this won't the, cut it. The, they need, that's your, yeah, they, and they need they need to make money and they need to, to do a living. And the honest reality is most of them have second jobs and are, are working 80 hours on the farm and then 40 hours somewhere else to make it work. But the, you know, and they're, they are making strides in, in mitigating climate change, right? Like in the last five years, I've seen Alberta go from tillage to no-till. Like 80% mm. of our fields now are no-till. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just leave the stubble from the last year and then plant over top. And that's a huge transition and that does make a huge difference to, so to what, the environment. What does that actually change? Uh, so so normally when you when you till the soil and you, and you, you loosen it up using machinery mm-hmm. uh, that breaks down all the organic matter in it and it oxidizes and it releases nitrogen and nitrogen dioxide and those are, are high end uh, greenhouse gases and then it reduces. So just tilling the soil creates green, greenhouse gases. Correct, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, and then and then when you, yeah, this is, this is where you start to get into real problems 
when you start talking about moving to plant-based diets. Well, is, yeah, because if you're going to be doing... Yeah. Yeah. Tilling, it, it doesn't actually magically take out this. Correct, yeah. This, and... and um, it, sorry, my oh. little one is no, here. No, that's <laughs> right. We we understand. We're coming into like your working. Life. So you're saying on plant based diets, though? Well, so so I don't have anything against plant based diets in, in themselves, um, other than they're usually very highly processed foods, and, mm. and we should just all be avoiding that in general because those are crappy foods. Just, the more you process mm -hmm. something, the worse it is for you. But it doesn't the, magically make the greenhouse gases. It doesn't magically make the greenhouse gases appear yeah. because a lot of the metrics on saying that livestock are, are these drivers of climate change are are there's there's a lot of ways depending on how you draw that circle mm -hmm. on where livestock can fall. Mm -hmm. So we run we run cattle, which are the demons of, of yes. methane burps. And uh, we're we sample our soil and we test for how much carbon we've sequestered. And we are sequestering in the positive five metric tons per acre per year with cattle. So is it less about the cattle and more about how the cattle are being Absolutely. raised? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's, it's that, always... So it's not yeah. the, ca the cattle aren't the demons here. Yeah. It's more how... It's the process. how. It's yeah. the processing and how that has happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's how they're farmed, yeah, not it, them. Yeah. It's capitalism and the industrial food system. Mm -hmm. the, the, two, the two dark horsemen of the climate yeah. apocalypse are mm -hmm. capitalism and industrial systems. Like they're... they're any of these systems, as soon as you start moving into the industrial paradigm, plant-based, whatever you're you're going to start running into a real problem mm -hmm. because your capitalism is going to drive you for profit and the industrial food system is going to drive you for pounds of commodity it's going to drive you to commodities mm -hmm. and and that's the reality of industrial farming is industrial farms don't grow food they grow commodities mm -hmm. right we in alberta we grow canola wheat rye barley peas and mustard those are the commodities that we grow. We're not feeding the world. We're growing commodities. Mm. The, 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 lie that, mm. the lie that agricultural tells itself is mm. that we're here feeding the world. The mm. reality is we're not feeding the world. Mm. We're feeding a commodities system mm. that is going to take those commodities and a third of them are going to get fed into animals. A third of them are going to get turned into biofuel. They're not even going to use for food. They're going to be used to, to drive a diesel truck around. Yeah. And, and then the rest of them are going to go into the food system. And then in that, a third of the ones that make it into the food system are just going to get thrown in the trash. Yeah. So, wow. so, so we're, we're doing all this production. We're, we're producing globally. We're producing 3,200 calories per person per day, more than enough to feed the right. world. Right. But it's not being used that way. But the yeah, way it's the being used, yeah it's, yeah, it's all being allocated into, into systems that, that aren't producing food. Mm -hmm. they're, they're producing commodities and those commodities can be used to do That's anything. That's really well explained. Thanks. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I feel like there isn't necessarily an answer to what I'm about to ask and I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, I know that like how you guys choose to operate, what you choose to do, that, that, that helps not only just yourselves personally, you talk about that you're putting carbon back into the land, that there mm -hmm. is a larger benefit to that. Um, but you talk about the fact that you're a hobby farm. Like, is there ways that that you see that there could be like a healing of the land on a larger scale? Because I understand you're one you're one family who who is working really hard to do what is within your control. Um, do you see that there's there's hope for for more people to kind of jump onto that vision and and kind of make that a larger shift than you have these these hobby farms? I, I, you, you I wouldn't feel like say it's to a other terrible people, question. You should do what we're doing. 
Uh, I might say that to other people, but it'd be a per- like we have a hard time finding staff who I can convince that they should do this. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, um, so in in one regard, I think what we've done here, is, and this is the startup tech sector part of my personality, <laughs> is we've built a fantastic prototype, and as a prototype, well, we can well. scale it out. Um, I think I could scale it up to us managing about 1,200 to 1,500 acres, uh, depending on how far apart, and I could do it on lease land. So I think that the opportunity here is really big and it's scalable, mm-hmm. and, and that if we were to scale to certain sizes, we would, of course, have to focus. We would be doing less chickens and more beef and things like that. But I think, think these sorts of things are scalable, and then we can start really binding carbon like mad like into the ground. Um, mm-hmm. So in that regard, I'm hopeful mm-hmm. in terms of us being able to scale as a business. Um, in terms of scaling as an industry and getting more people into it, man, like, well, three years ago, I would have been a lot more optimistic about it. But right now I, I think it's such a hard sell because the money is just not there. So it has to be people who have the ability in terms of, they don't have to make a lot of money at it. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm waiting to see what happens with voluntary carbon markets in Canada and the framework that the government's announcing. Mm. If I can start accessing the carbon that we're binding and I can start getting market value for the work I'm doing Mm. in terms of climate mitigation, Mm. my financial picture on this completely reverses Mm -hmm. right now based on, so it needs to be kind of like a governmental change could incentivize. Yes. We need, we need, we need policy from the top down. yeah. 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 yeah, and then that would, I mean, that would can be way more enticing for larger farms and operations Absolutely. to You'd make need, changes then, right? Yeah. I mean, then they have a reason. Oh, okay, this is just a different right. business model. So yeah. in terms, like of, I, in I terms just of climate change, change and everything, it's... I don't know... People th- value what you're doing, but yeah. actually put a value on it. Yes, Correct. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. would help immensely. Yeah. Right? Well, for perspective... <clears throat> excuse me. Um, if we were being, if, if I could access the carbon markets and be paid what, what sequestered carbon on the voluntary market is in Europe, uh, we would be getting paid about $170 per metric ton. And you're uh, saying you've got five per acre? Five per acre per year. Yeah. So that, that adds up. That adds up. Right now we would be sitting on our banked carbon and we have the soil data tracked back to when we started. We're sitting on approximately $1.3 million in carbon. After farming this way for six years. So you right. go, so if... So the financial metrics at that point, like that completely flips the, yeah, that, the, the situation. Right? Feasibility. Are, are these conversations yeah. happening like at the governmental level, like yeah. around yeah. here? They are, yeah. yeah. The so provincially, federally? Provincially, federally, all of them. Yeah. We're, so we partner aggressively with any university and organization that's mm-hmm. doing studies on, mm-hmm. on carbon sequestration with farming mm-hmm. and grazing. And we're, we're in contact with, with organizations that are building databases on carbon around Alberta and a whole bunch of other stuff. And so we, we keep involved in this. And we're, we're tentatively partnering with Olds College on some stuff. We'll have to see how that pans out. Mm-hmm. But we're always, we're always seeking to partner on that because we need, like there needs to be the movement down at the bottom on the, yeah. uh, on the production side. There needs to be movement on this in the middle from the consumer side. And then we need top down mm-hmm. policy. All of these have to happen. happen. Otherwise mm-hmm. we're just going to go off a cliff with climate change and yeah. we're going to hit four degrees Celsius and then we're going to be screwed. Yeah. yeah. You it's won't be able to do what you're doing. Yeah. We yeah. need like actual yep. framework around the carbon sequestration and as an industry kind of thing yeah. and then that would make it are you hopeful for that the federal government like the federal government's policy is coming out in the fall here yeah. they have been extremely cagey on releasing information around it so 
from what I've heard from some people, it might be a good sign. So some yeah. people in the industry are, are saying, yeah, this is going to be a good thing. Other people are saying, well, if you run cows, get ready to pay a bill to the government. So yeah, we're hopefully they're more thoughtful than that. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's, it's really gonna, it's really going to be interesting to see what happens. There's, there's a lot of resistance in, in the agricultural community around this sort of stuff because, um, because the margins are so tight and, and it is such a climate impacting industry. Uh, whenever, whenever these things come around, there's a lot of pushback from farming communities. So I was going to ask about that pushback from farming communities in terms of changing these kinds of policies. What absolutely. Is it yeah, they do they like feel it's they don't penalizing feel them or do they feel that it's... Well, so for instance, with the carbon tax, like, like farmers hate the carbon tax, even though they get all of it back. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like you, I file my taxes and I can, I get a rebate for a hundred percent of my carbon taxes that I paid for fuel and, and stuff and, and chemical. Mm-hmm. So the, they just don't like the idea of having to pay a tax. Like okay. that, I, I think it's, yeah, <laughs> that, that government inter- interference, right? Okay. I think that's, um, okay. especially here in Alberta. Even though it's yeah. actually yeah. financially neutral. It is financially yeah. neutral. And if, if they change their operations slightly, it's financially positive. Right. So. But is there's there, a sense is, of is there hesitancy towards change? There is, yeah. There's a just lot in of general. There's a lot of people who just farm because that's the way my grandfather farmed. Well, in a sense, yeah. that the people who are driving these kinds of policies are our opponents. Yes, and yeah. they're not farmers. Absolutely, like, yeah. right? Right. That's they, that they hate what we're doing. Yeah. They don't they like. Don't it. They don't understand it. They don't get us. No. They don't. Yeah. Yeah. And and some of those policy make policymakers do understand yes absolutely and do value yes, what you're doing yeah, yeah. and come yeah. in here if you could get some of those people here yeah, yeah and it's all about trying to get the the like i found like whenever i'm engaging with the government it's about trying to find the right person to talk to in the mm. right ear yeah. and if you can find them you're good yeah yeah they're usually sympathetic and they're really helpful but i'm just thinking too here back to the practical all of that is more work <laughs> it is absolutely because it's not like you send an email and then you get okay well go ahead and do this yeah. it's like no well, and like for the no. thing on carbon credits, uh, like I, I have the value of these carbon credits, uh, but there actually are no businesses and frameworks for me to actually sell them. Right. Hmm. So I just, I just spent, I spent uh, the last six months trying to find organizations that would buy my carbon. And I can find tons that, or, that will sell carbon to you as a consumer. Uh. I can find tons that will verify whether I have carbon or not. But I can find none where I can sell my agricultural carbon. And they don't exist. But there are places in the world where they do. In Europe, yeah. In mm-hmm. Europe. Do you talk to people in Europe that are, or do you I've understand ta- the system, read about it all that? Yeah, the, the, the problem is like when you take a look at the market, it's like somebody designed the market by taking a plate of spaghetti and meatballs and throwing it at a wall. Okay. So what, what operates in Europe, because the framework is non-existent here, it doesn't work. Okay. Yeah. So it's just a pain. And I, I'm getting the faces that we, you guys got to get going here. Not necessarily. I was okay. more just curious about time and stuff like that. I, I, I would love if, if, if Sam, Sam would be willing to talk. Yeah, Sam, do you want to come and talk to the fine people from Rector's Cupboard? <laughs> the fine people. <laughs> oh, yay. We're fine. <laughs> the fine folk. So Sam, how old, how old is Sam? Sam's coming on to the Sam point, is yeah. 10 and a half. Sam is 10 and a half, and you've been doing this for how long? In this. So we bought the farm when he was a baby. We were driving around in the car looking at farmland with him and and the and nursing him in the back of the car. Um, and then, uh, yeah, but then it's been the last five years we've been spending every summer out here, the full full summer. As soon as school ends, come out here and farm. And he doesn't get vacation. He gets farm chores. This is this, yeah. <laughs> But the trade-off is he gets to play on dirt hills and a lot of freedom, drive UTVs. I saw you driving that UTV. You're yep. good at it. Yep. When did you start driving that? Uh, like a year after we got it. 
it's been a f- like probably through this three is probably his third year. Third year. Really? Yeah. And it's yeah. electric. Yeah. Yeah. So it's super stealth. So you can kind of sneak around. Yeah. yeah. What's your favorite part about driving it? Mm, it's just, just so easy to drive it. Yeah. And what do you take care of on the farm? You help out? Yeah, I usually take care of the, like chickens. I collect eggs on my own with chickens and duck eggs sometimes. Yeah. Do you have uh, other friends who, like, do you get people that come and help you sometimes or no? Uh, yeah. We have friends that are from the city that come usually. Do a every sleepover week. or something? Yeah, they sometimes, usually yeah. sleep over. Um, right now they're in Hawaii. Okay. Lucky ducks. Yeah. I know. I'm looking at their photos going, Man, Oh, yeah. If you don't farm, you can go to Hawaii. You can, you can go somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's your favorite part of being on a farm? My favorite part of being on the farm is just so much freedom. You like have hmm. so much space to roam around and explore. That's true. You, you got, got us right down to where the cattle were there. and You, yeah. so you clearly are familiar with this. And you know, kind of, uh, yeah. Now you have a little brother, too. Yes, I do. Does your little brother help out around here? Not quite so much yet. Yeah. He helps out in multiple different ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's being so kind. So your whole life, most of your life, you've been familiar with the farm. This has been part of, it wasn't like, you know, you were 10 years old and then the farm became part of your life. Yeah. But Boaz, even more so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like a... A part of the picture, picture part of the him. land. Yeah, I don't even know if he'll remember how much city stuff he'll remember. Whereas Sam has been in an interesting position being both, like, spending the rest of the year in the city with and going to school in the city and then summers and the grazing season out on the farm. So it's been kind of a neat... He's gotten both pictures, which I think is yeah, yeah. It's pretty special. So Yeah, it's not... It's like... Most kids don't get that. No, for no, sure. for sure. No, I think yeah. he's excited, though, for um, he's going to be going to school in Didsbury now. Okay. And actually meeting other kids that know about calves and calves. Like so what grade are you going farming. into? Sam? I'm going into grade five. Fantastic. Yeah. So. Oh, that's excellent. So okay. now so, uh, tell us a bit about the seasonal aspect of that then. You talk about the difference between winter. So for you guys as a family, mm-hmm. winter is very different then. Yes. It also means, like, in the past, this like this will be the first year that we have actually gotten to spend most of the year together. Oh, really? Because in the past, when, the, when school starts back up, I would head back to the city with the kids and do the school year there and commuting back and forth a bit from the farm. But it would be mostly Marcus and a farmhand covering the farm. Okay. And it would mean, like, we would only see each other a couple times a week. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, is a like, huge relationship stressor. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like three to five days here on the farm yep. by myself. And then I would go into the house in Calgary with yep. three other people and screaming children. And <laughs> and thinking about all the things that have to be done on the Still, farm. Still, yeah. Correct, yeah. 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 So this yeah. year will be like, we finally have reached that point where we'll stick to being together and like, and then, and both be able to do back and forth from the farm. Cause it's just yeah. like, right. We're now, we're now like, what, like 10 minutes. I think I timed it. It's, it's eight. just under 10 minutes. Yeah. I can, oh, so much, better. I can do it oh. in eight if yeah. I want to risk oh. getting yeah. a ticket. Well, and then, and for Sam and Bo, like they can both be still be coming to the farm and do like, enjoy that stuff too. It's not these big long breaks between and not getting to see the different stages of the animals and missing yeah. out on some of that, which is, I think that's pretty cool. That'll, so Sam, you, do you have favorite animals? Uh, I really like the ducks. Yeah, the I, ducks yeah. are great. They're just so much more cleaner than the chickens. They're oh, yeah. easier to take <laughs> care of. <laughs> calm. They make, yeah, they're yeah, calm. They're, yeah. they're a little nicer. 
Yeah. Also, you can see them everywhere because they're free range. They go all over the farm. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Do. And do you do you help feed the pigs too? Oh yes, I love the pigs. Okay. I feed them by hand. Like, what's so great about the pigs? Uh, they're just like so calm and um, soft, and mm. uh, if you you can just go onto the ground and feed them by hand. Yeah, but your brother was out there feeding them earlier today. He was. Yeah, yeah, he went out with mom. Yeah. Well, no. Bo doesn't usually go in with the pigs. He's a little nervous around them. But, oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, he, he likes to go out into that field and wander around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, Sam, thank you for coming on the mic. You did an excellent job. And we, we really like what you're doing here. And we're, gonna, we're looking forward to, you know, buying stuff and yes, doing yeah. yeah. So uh, and telling lots of other people about it and hope to and we'll have more conversation with you to you know get more details and the rest. Yeah. But yeah. it is <laughs> it is fantastic and overwhelming to even visit and see <laughs> not not for us, I don't mean like we're tired, but to see the scale of what just knowing like on a daily life what it means for to do. But this other piece as well. Obviously it brings about in people like us a gratitude for the kind of either courage or recklessness or, or blindness that you have, you it's know, whatever mix. it is to, to do I'm, this, right? I'm sure there's a great word in German for that. There's got to be a great word in German, you know what I mean? And some kind of sense of like, so glad people are doing that and what you have to tell us, those who are listening and the rest, but also for us to carry the, the, the realization of that, of the cost that is there mm-hmm. and, and why so many people do, walk away or just what it just, means yeah. and, and those kinds of things so uh yeah we'll keep the conversation going but uh but but blessings to you and all the work and hope that you know the seasons you know work well and whatever the next thing is that you're concerned about <laughs> that for this thing to work the following 18 things exactly. have to happen yes exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and the following one of the following 200 can't yeah yeah, yeah. so well, when we're well, done here i gotta go move some cows so. okay there you go yeah, thank yeah. you very much <laughs> thank you all thank, thank you so you. much thanks. for your time thanks yeah, for coming thank you if you're in the calgary area and are interested in any of marcus and sarah's products. They have great products. We got to sample both their chicken eggs and their duck eggs. Uh, They are on Instagram, happiness by the acre. In our next episode, we'll be talking with Jeremy Clyde of the Alberta Yak Company, as well as Rod Olson, who works for YYC Growers, as well as Land of Dreams. Rector's Cupboard is a production of Reflector Project and is hosted and produced by Todd Weeb, Allison Williams, and Amanda Mina. Our cupboard master is Ken Bell. Rector's Cupboard is made possible by the generous support of donors. Check out rectorscupboard.ca for past episodes, events, and how you can help fund the podcast. You can also support Rector's Cupboard by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, which helps other people find us. Thanks for listening. Thank you.